all about Jesus. It's all about the Lord. All about the Savior and the promise of His Word. It's all about Jesus. Welcome to It's All About Jesus, a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel Eagle. You are listening to a Sunday morning message by Pastor Mike Sasso. If you would like to join us for church, we meet every Sunday, 10 a.m. at North Star Charter School, 839 North Linder Road in Eagle, Idaho. You may also join us live streaming at that time. Go to cceagle.org at 10 a.m. to watch the whole service live. If you can't join us then, you can always go back and watch the video. Let's listen in to today's message. It's all about Jesus. It's all about the Lord. For who the Lord loves, he chastens, and he scourges every son whom he receives. It may not always be the case, but sometimes you're going through a hard time because the Lord is trying to get your attention. Sometimes the Lord is disciplining you for something, chasing you, getting your attention. Sometimes hard times, we need hard times, huh? Sometimes it hurts so good because I needed that, and it got me to look up and look where I needed to look, okay? So fear and discouragement. Number two is hard times. Don't forget God's ways. Sometimes he's doing a work. And the third one is just plain old weariness. Have you ever just got weary of serving? You know, sometimes you get old. Sometimes you're just tired. I can't do what I used to do. <clears throat> Linda and I talk about the good old days. When we were younger, and I, I was over youth ministry, and I was a mission pastor at all these different stages, I used to take kids out on the street, busloads of kids out on the street witnessing. <clears throat> I'd give them everything from dramas to singing to, to uh, questionnaires. We'd go out on the street. I'd manage all this. There's times we've taken kids out on the mission field. We've taken kids to Russia, to Scotland to, was it England too? England? Well, we take a plane loads of kids. Well, planes are pretty big, bus loads. And we'd go out doing all this work. And have you ever tried to herd cats? <clears throat> so sometimes Linda and I look back over our ministry and we go, I'm glad we're not doing that right now. Sometimes you just go, that was good for that, and I don't have the energy to do that. I understand. We get weary sometimes, but, you know, we are given an exhortation over and over again in Scripture not to get weary of well-doing. Now, you don't have to do <clears throat> take 34 kids to Russia on a plane trip, on Aeroflot. That's a trip. Tried to fly in their airlines. I could tell you stories, but I will save it. But all the experiences that we've had, there's times you just got to go, okay, Maybe you can't do that. Maybe you don't want to do this. Maybe you don't have the energy. <clears throat> Hold on. <coughs> Maybe you have an old person voice. <clears throat> but it, you, you know what? Don't ever stop being a do-gooder, a well-doing. Matter of fact, Second Thessalonians three thirteen says, "But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary in doing good. You don't have to do what you used to do, but find something to do." Okay. Galatians 6, 9-10. Let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Don't lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially those who are of the household of the faith. You know what that means? You don't have to go on a mission field, though we should be sending out missionaries and we support missionaries. But if you, don't, if you want to find something to do, 
bless the people who are fellow believers. That should be easier, don't you think? I know. Sometimes they're whiners. Sometimes you didn't give them what they wanted you to give them. I know, but you know what? Bless those who are of the household of the faith. One more. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, after the whole argument, remember there's a therefore read to see what it's there for. You read on your own. But listen, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable. <laughs> That's easy for you to say. Immovable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. That's a real key. When you realize that God's going to bring forth fruit even when you don't think he is. Even when you're doing something, you go, what's the point? What's the use of this? And again, sometimes just raising kids, you can feel that way, right? What's the point of this? You know, sometimes Linda and I, we look back on all the years we did youth ministry and took, spent so much time in these teenagers' lives, and you go, what was that all about? There could be a lot of waste. As a matter of fact, some of, sometimes we, some of the things we did, because we, we ran summer programs, <clears throat> we took the kids to the beach and camping and Magic Mountain and water parks, and some of that wasn't necessarily necessary. But you know what? Every now and then I'll get a Facebook message from one of those kids. And they'll say, Pastor Mike, remember this? It's all about Jesus. Because I was saying it back then. And we, don't forget, Pastor Mike, it's all about Jesus. I need, to, I need to know that some of those seeds took root and grew. And some of those kids now, who I, the kids who I thought would never, they weren't interested... They got on fire, they're raising kids of their own, and they're trying to raise their family as Christians. Oh, folks, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. You know what? I, I know some of the seeds you plant may not grow, <clears throat> but many of them will. Okay, now, do not become sluggish. So we, we got to fight this. Do not become sluggish. Does that mean it's automatic? <clears throat> No, I've got to decide, uh-uh, uh, snap out of it, Mike. Blah, 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 blah. Do not become sluggish. Get up and serve the Lord. Do something with your life. We've we got a battle to fight the discouragement and, and to fight the, the desire of being sluggish. You know, uh, trials and the battles of life often wear us down. We get weary. We have all kinds of reasons why we shouldn't be serving the Lord. <clears throat> but we've got to press on. We've got to, matter of fact, one, one uh, pastor said this, and I wrote it down. First, we lose the desire to press on. And then we, do, we lose the desire to go on. God help us. So, by the way, that word sluggish, it's also found, where is it, back in chapter 5, <clears throat> verse 11, dull of hearing. It's like they stopped listening. Remember, we talked a lot about that. So sluggish could not only mean lazy and slothful, it could mean dense. It could mean stupid, but that's, I won't reply that here, but it's, it's talking about you're not listening so, folks, stay in the Word and stay active in service and go look at Hebrews 5.11 and remember that, that you can be dull of hearing as well. Okay, now, we got into some more fill-ins here. I want you to notice how, how people inherit the, God's promises, okay? Because it's not what most people think. Let's look at verse 12. It says, Do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. Did you notice there's a few things in here we could talk about? I'll, let's just talk about the first one. Not in order that it's in the verse, but in order of priority. It says, through faith and patience. I like that because it didn't say, through sweat, blood, sweat, and tears. Sometimes it feels like that. But you know what? how you inherit God's promise? Faith 
and patience. It has nothing to do with your works or performance or earning it. It's all about trusting God and waiting on him and not giving up. Faith, the, the Greek word is pistis, which means to trust in, to rely upon, to cling to. Put your faith in God. Trust in him. Rely upon him. Cling to him. Patience, it actually, I looked up in the Greek, the patience could actually mean endurance, constant steadfastness, perseverance, stamina, long-suffering, and even tolerance. There are the things you have to tolerate. Patience. God help me to have faith and endurance. Faith and tolerance. Faith and long-suffering. Stamina, huh? So I like those two words. Through faith and patience will inherit the promise. Now here's the rest of that fill-in. You don't earn an inheritance. You don't earn an inheritance, right? Come on. It comes through, now I've got you uh, three words here, family relations, and I also in parentheses I put association. Family association. You get inheritance because of your family connection and it was passed on to you, not because you deserve it. You know somebody who's got a big inheritance and they didn't deserve it? Don't point. But it's not about earning. It's not about working for it. It's not through your, your merit and your labor and your hard work. You inherit a promise. And by the way, when you inherit a promise from God, it's not the same as getting a paycheck or receiving a reward. I know that the Bible does talk about receiving rewards, but I want to remind you of one of my favorite verses. I've gone to this from time to time about this topic when Paul was writing in Romans to the Romans about earning your salvation or, or, or being right with God. Sometimes I choke myself up. Okay. Romans chapter 4, verse 4. Paul says, Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as a debt. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. I love that, those two verses. Because it... You know, I was raised up in a very works-oriented denomination. When I started reading my Bible, I'd find verses like this, and it reminds me, you know what? It's not about working and earning God's salvation or God's righteousness. It says, but to him who does not work, but believes on him. You mean, okay, I'm not earning it, I'm just trusting God. Now, it's funny, there's a dichotomy, and we're going to talk about it before I end in the next 15 minutes, that there's, we, God's calling us to a work, and yet we don't get saved through work. We get saved and we're counted righteous through faith, okay? Wages are what you earn from your work. Inheritance is what you receive from family connection. And we've got to keep that proper balance between works and faith. I like, again, the, the famous passage in Hebrew, excuse me, in Ephesians that everybody has memorized. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We should have that memorized, but if you're going to memorize it, memorize Ephesians 2.10 as well. The very next verse says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, that we should be, that he, he, before prepared that we should walk in them. So we don't get saved by works. We get saved by his work on the cross. But now that we're saved, we're saved to do a work. We're saved to serve. You get it? I want to try to put this in the right balance for you because you don't get saved because you earned it. But now that you're saved, he's got a work for you to do. He's got a job for you to do. Now another key in this verse, which you probably wanted to go to first because it was 
first in order, and a key of fruitful Christian living is following good examples. Okay? It says imitate in verse 12, right? Imitate. We've all got examples around us. Some good examples, some bad examples. But we've got to imitate those who are doing well that we would learn from them. And um, Abraham was a good example. It says in verse 13, For when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely, blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply you. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. Oh, there's so much to this story, because you know, he didn't, sometimes he blew it too, right? So much to Abraham's story we don't have time for, because he didn't do everything right, but he obtained the promise. You may not have done everything right, but patiently endure and put your hope in God. You will make mistakes along the way, but just like Abraham, he obtained the promise. Now, something struck me as I was looking at this text. I told you, I learn more when I have to teach a text than when I'm just reading my Bible. Because I'm thinking, I'm going to have to stand before people and talk about this. What does it really mean? And well, there's something really hit me about uh, verse 13 and 14. Look at verse 14. It says, when God says, surely, blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply you. And I thought, when did God say that? When did this happen? So I looked it up, the exact quotation, and you could find it in Genesis chapter 22, and it transpired right as Abraham was obeying God under the greatest test of faith in his whole life. God told him, I want you to sacrifice your son, your only son. Bring him to the altar and sacrifice him unto the Lord your God. And it's like, what? God doesn't do that kind of stuff, does he? Well, it was a foreshadow, right? It was a picture of what was to come in Christ. But Abraham obeyed God. He got the wood. He got the fire. He got the knife. He got his son. He brought his son to the altar. And just as he raised the knife and he was ready to slay his own son, I can't imagine being in that condition, the angel of the Lord stopped him. And that's when these words were uttered. We've got to look at it. In Genesis 22, 15, Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, blessing I will bless you and multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven, as the sands which is above the seashore, and your descendants shall be uh, excuse me, shall possess the gate of the enemies. In your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed because you've obeyed me. You know what really struck out, stood out to me? We're talking about we're made righteous through faith. We're talking about we're saved by grace through faith. And yet twice, God says to Abraham, as a matter of fact, look at it if you could find it in the very first part of verse 16. It says, the Lord says, because you have done this thing, I see your fruit, I see you're obedient, and now I've seen, you, because you've done this, I'm going to bless you. Look at that last line in verse 18. It says, in your seed all nations of the earth shall be blessed because you've obeyed my voice. Now what's that all about? Because I like to say, well, it's not of works, it's just of, by grace through faith. But you know what? Faith has evidence to it. If you really believe God, you're going to obey God. There's an interesting balance here, and I'm not trying to preach works righteousness, but there's an interesting balance here. There's God's part, and there's our part. God's promise, and our faith and obedience. Why do some people think that they could live their life believing in God, but live a life of sin, and God's going to bless them? That's not biblical, okay? Now, I'm not pointing anybody, I'm not looking for a fight, but I'm telling you something. I believe that we're saved by grace through faith, 
in Christ alone. And I believe that you don't earn it. We looked at Romans 4, but I can't avoid, I can't ignore the text that over and over again God would say, because you obeyed me, because you heard my voice. And so why do people think, I I don't have to obey God, I'm just saved by faith. Because I believe in Jesus, translation of what they're saying is, because I can believe in Jesus, I can do whatever I want and still go to heaven. There's something wrong with that. That's twisted, okay? So here's your next fill-in. Obedience is your first word. Obedience is the fruit of faith. Huh? Does that make sense? Obedience is the fruit of faith. And as I was looking at this more carefully, I realized that was James' argument. He used the same story of Abraham, the same example. Talk about a good example. James, who a lot of Martin Luther wanted the book of James out of the Bible because it talked about works. But you know what James' argument, he was using the same argument looking at Abraham. Let me read it to you. In James chapter 2, verse 21, let me read it to you from the New Living. I like the way it's worded here. Don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham was shown to be right with God by his actions when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? Isn't that what we just read? Isn't that what, he says, because you obeyed my voice, right? Let me keep reading. Verse 22, for you see his faith and his actions worked together. His actions made his faith complete. So it happened that, just as the scripture said, Abraham believed God, and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. Don't get that wrong. You're righteous because of your faith, but your faith, real faith, has action to it. Real faith is seen in their lifestyle. Let me keep reading here. He was even called the friend of God. So you see, we are shown to be right with God by what we do and not faith alone. So let me tell you something. If you see somebody living in sin, oh yeah, man, Jesus, he's my... I've been on the street witnessing in in downtown L.A. talking to pimps. Oh yeah, Jesus is my man. Jesus the man, yeah. He's a pimp. He's running prostitution. Jesus is not man. He's Lord, and you better treat him like Lord, okay? A lot of people talk. Oh, yeah, I believe in Jesus. And they're living in sin somehow. Whether it's sexual sin or drugs or crime. It's like, I'm not going to go through the whole thing. We don't have time. But if you find somebody who's living in sin and they go, yeah, Jesus, thumbs up to Jesus. Something's wrong there because what did we just read? So you see that we are shown to be right with God by what we do and not faith alone. We're shown to be. That doesn't make you right. It shows that you're right. As a matter of fact, I like the way James ends it all. We're not going to go much further than this, but in verse 26 of chapter 2, James says, For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. Faith without works is dead. So here, we're going to end this part with a a, a fill-in. And I was looking for, I remember hearing, Faith alone saves. Have you ever heard, uh, I thought it was a Martin Luther quote, and it very well could be. Uh, It's, Faith alone saves... But saving faith is never alone. That's your fill-in? And I've always thought that was Martin Luther, it could be, but when I looked it up on the internet to confirm it, I found that John Owens, the Puritan theologian, added to it. He said, faith alone saves, but, but saving faith is never alone. It, is, it completes itself in deeds. See, he kind of avoided the word works because everybody goes, works, that's works. Works is bad. Works isn't bad. Works is only bad if you think you're earning God's, you're earning your salvation through works. Good works is a good thing, okay? But uh, John Owens, he played it safe. He used the word deeds. 
He says, faith alone saves, but saving faith is never alone. It completes itself in deeds. You ever hear the saying, actions speak louder than words? I don't know, maybe John Owen said that too. Okay, listen, verse 15. We're going to wrap it up here. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. And so we also have to patiently endure. That means hold course. That means live right, bear fruit unto God. Don't just say one thing out of the side of your mouth and then you're living a whole other life. It, true faith shows itself in your life, in your actions, okay? So an exhortation that puts us on perspective, it'll come later, and I can't wait till Hebrews chapter 12. It's too many months away, so let me read it to you now. Hebrews chapter 12, I read some of this earlier, but I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd, huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin which so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding the shame. Boy, God help me to have that kind of spirit. Now he's seated at the, right, at the place of honor besides the throne of God. Verse 3. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people, and you won't become weary and give up. After all, you've not yet given your lives and your struggle against sin. And you, have you forgotten the, the encouraging words God spoke to you as children? He said, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline, and don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves. And he punishes each one he accepts as his child. As you endure his divine discipline, and some of you guys might be in the, in the cooker right now. Some of you might be in the woodshed right now that the Lord's disciplining you. He says, as you endure the divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Whoever heard of a child who is never disciplined by his father? If God doesn't discipline you as he does all his children, it means you're illegitimate and not really his children at all. Since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the Father, the Father of spirits, and live forever? For our earthly father disciplined us for a few years, doing what's best as they knew how, but God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. Now, I've got more, but I want to stop here. I'm watching the clock. But I want to look at that verse, verse 10. But God disciplines us. <clears throat> his, God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. Tension. You know what guys, God's trying to get your attention for? Because he just wants me to be blessed. No, he wants you to be holy. How many times have I heard people go, well, I'm, I'm, leaving, the, I'm leaving my wife, or I'm quitting this, or I'm good, because God wants me happy. No, God wants you Holy. And if you're holy, you should be, in a godly way, happy, okay? But some, too many people think God's goal for my life is to make me happy. That's your problem. That's why you live in the way you are. God's goal is to make you and me holy. And sometimes he puts us through the woodshed, he puts us through discipline, that we might be holy. Now, I was going to read to verse 17, your homework. Read it on your own. But here's what we're going to do. We're going to wrap it up right here. And, and I want to ask you something. I want you to think about something. Because God 
gave us the example, actually in James and in Hebrews, we saw the example of, of Abraham, and he was sacrificing his son, who God promised as the God of, he was the son of promise, I should say, and God gave him Isaac, that he was supposed to have, be a father of many nations, and you're making me throw it all away? I, I don't get it. Has God ever done that to you where things don't make sense? But he's asking you to let go of something. Sometimes it's obvious when it's sin, right? When he's telling you to repent, you already know that, and some of you maybe need to do that. But there's sometimes God says, I know this is good under the right circumstances, but I'm asking you to lay it on, on the altar and give it up for me. I don't know what that is for you. I know what it is for me. I know God says that to me. There are things in my life that are so good and I love it, and God says, I want you to let that go and give it to me. Put it on the altar. And sometimes the only way God's going to bless us is when we let that thing go that has us, that we're so wrapped up in, and he says, put it on the altar because I want to bless you. It doesn't always make sense, but what is that that the Lord's saying? Father, right now, we bow before you. Only you know, only you know what it is in each of our lives that you're telling us to lay on the altar before you. Father, I pray for those who maybe they're trapped in sin. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's a, a sin that's a sin of pleasure that they love, and you're saying to them, put it on the altar. Would you do that right now just between you and God? Would you say, Lord, I want to put this on the altar. I want to repent of this sin. I want to be right with you. I, I don't want to just be a Christian in word, but not in deed. I want to be all the way for you. Would you lay it on the altar? Some of you, there's a good thing in your life that he says, let go. And you go, but, but, he says, let go. What is that good thing in your life that you don't want to let go because God gave that to you, just like Isaac and Abraham. But God's saying, put it on the altar right now. Let it go. It's the blessings of obedience. Would you right now tell the Lord, I hear you, Lord. I know what you're saying. I know what it is, and I give it to you now. I lay it on the altar. Jesus, he's the resurrection, the lover of my soul. We hope you enjoyed today's program. You can find all of Pastor Mike's messages and any other information you would like about Calvary Chapel Eagle online at cceagle.org. In iTunes, you can subscribe to the podcast Calvary Chapel Eagle Sunday morning. If you are new to the area and don't already have a home church, we would love for you to come check us out. We meet every Sunday, 10 a.m. at North Star Charter School, 839 North Linder Road in Eagle. That is one block north of Highway 44. You can call or text the church phone at 208-891-2635. Once again, you can get any information you need at cceagle.org. There you will also find a link to join our Facebook page. So until next time, remember, it's all about Jesus. Yeah, the power of His name.